0: I'm not gonna lie. Um, so, I just wanna address the elephant in the room because some of you are probably like, okay, who is this guy and what's up with that mustache? Did he drive a stagecoach here? No, all right. It's just who I am, okay? It's just something I'm trying out. I'm sorry if it's distracting, but anyway, yeah, so glad that you're here with us. Uh, Thank you to those of you who are viewing online. Thanks for joining us. Um, Like Ken said, my name is Joe, and I get to uh, lead our high school and young adult ministries, and uh, I'm a Norwalk guy. That's where my office is, but it's so cool to come to Sandusky, where I started attending the chapel, so I'm grateful to be here with you. This morning too. Uh, so today we're in the book of Ephesians. We started this series a couple weeks ago, and we're going to be talking about Ephesians um, two and three. And the primary, the primary uh, point of the message is all about unity, and that's what Paul is getting at here in this in this section of Ephesians. And I wanted to share this verse from you. It's a well known verse from Psalm one thirty three. It says this: It says, "How good." And pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. All right, unity. That is the key to this message today. And unity is important in any organization. All right. uh, One of the things that I get to do because of my role here at the church is I get to be a chaplain for the Norwalk Truckers varsity football team. Me and Eric Gonzalez, he's one of our elders here. He is the other chaplain, so there's two of us. And, you know, we get to pray before the game, at halftime, after the game. I get to be a spiritual mentor to some of those guys. It's really incredible. And the, the, the tagline of the year, of this season, is Brotherhood of Strength. That that is their vision. That's their. That's what keeps them together. They even have that printed on the back of their jerseys. It says Brotherhood of Strength. And it's all about unity, because unity is so important as a team. Now, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, we came to Perkins to play against Perkins, and uh, it didn't go as well as we had hoped, okay? Yeah, quit laughing, all right? It was, we got beat, I think it was 35 to 7. And uh so before the game I saw Jeff Harball. Tracy Harball was in that video. It's her husband who is the per- who is the pr- principal for Perkins. All right, he's he's one of the he's their defensive coordinator and he's also my boss because he's one of the elders here. So I'm going to be careful. But I was like talking to him beforehand, you know, about the game and I was like, "Hey, obviously we're going to win this." I mean, we've got two chaplains. I don't even know if you guys have a chaplain. So we're obviously the Lord's team. And then they beat us 35 to 7. So I am praying for Jeff for the repercussions he's going to experience from the Lord for just that's just messed up. But and I think Jeff would tell you what every any football coach would tell you or or any leader of an organization is that a team is a unit. It's like a family, all right? There's a quarterback, there's a kicker, there's a linebacker, there's a running back, all these different positions but they are all united. They're all one team. And at the start of the season, any team has, has a sense of unity, all right? That's, it's very easy to, to feel like a team. Uh, and as the team is doing well and the wins begin to add up, that sense of unity is easy to maintain. Uh, it, this year, it's been difficult. We're 1-8 and eight now, and this is the first year I've been a part of the team when we haven't had a winning season. And as the losses have started to pile up, that unity, it's very easy for it to start to degrade. And human nature begins to take over, and, you know, I start to hear sarcastic and cynical comments from the sidelines from some of the players who aren't on the field. You know, I hear them saying things like, oh, he cost us the game, or, you know, the only reason he plays is because his dad's a coach, or his his parents made a donation to the field, whatever it is, or I'll hear, like, some freshman be like, oh, I'd I'd have held on to that pass, like, Really? You're 80 pounds with your shoes on. Like, you really think you would have caught that and took that tackle? I don't think so, all right? Like, the water girls spend more time on the field than you do. Be quiet. And a good coach will see what's going on when this happens, and he'll sense the danger and the division on the team, and they'll step in and do what's necessary to bring the team back to that sense of unity. Any leader of any... Any company, government, organization, a family, a church relationship knows that you cannot move forward, you cannot have success and enjoy life without unity. Well, this isn't a new problem, all right? This isn't anything new. This is a human problem. So I think the Apostle Paul, around 60 AD, as he's, as he's in a Roman jail, uh, and, he's, and his heart is set on the church of Ephesians, and he starts to write this letter, I think he instinctively knows what any every football coach and all of us understand is that unity is easily lost when things aren't going well. And so unity is the predominant theme in this in this letter to the church of Ephesians. And so this weekend, we're going to be in chapters 2 and 3. So if you have your Bible, that's where you want to open it to. If you have your phone and you want to use the version app, um, that's where we'll be. And we'll also have the verses on the screen for you as well. So... Paul here is really getting down to the basics. And uh, I'm sorry for all the football analogies, but that's just what's on my mind right now. But uh, in, in 1961, Vince Lombardi did this. After his team had lost uh, to the Eagles, in 1961, he starts the summer training camp with his 38 players, and they're probably thinking, all right, if we're going to win this year, we need to go to the next level. But Vince Lombardi decides to take him back to the fundamentals, to the basics. So he stands in front of these professional football players, and he holds up a football, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. And that's how he starts his season. And so I feel like Paul is looking at the church of Ephesians, and he's saying, church, this is unity. All right, And so we, we start to see that theme played out here. So we're going to start at chapter 2, verse 11, and it says this. Okay, so a little bit of background to to understand what Paul is saying here is necessary. The Bible is a big book with a long story, and it includes the story of God's people and how that starts with the call of Abraham, who's the father of the Jewish people. And by God's grace and his grace alone, he chose the Jewish people to be a light to the world. They were called to be a representative of God's love. Not because of anything that they had done, but because of God's grace. And people of other nations were supposed to look at the Israelites, the Jews, and look at them and say, okay, we want their God. But rather than becoming these shining lights, the Jewish people turned inward and they turned prideful and eventually contemptuous towards the Gentiles who were the non-Jews. And looking down on them because, because they were chosen by God. And they were proud. One, the, one of the physical characteristics was, was circumcision, and they were proud of this, all right? And, and they were kind of like, ha we're circumcised, and you're not. Pastor Jay wrote this, all right? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying what he wrote. Look, I'm not going to go into circumcision and all of that. Uh, listen, if you have questions about that or your kids have questions, if they're in here, um, Ken Rawson is going to be out in the atrium after the service. You can just send them right over to him, and he will answer all those questions. Oh, seriously! If you have questions, you can just email me. It's uh, Eric at the Chapel Family. I will handle all of those questions for you. Oh, yeah, I'm not gonna go, but but basically, because of this, because of this, this. This physical, you know, decision that, or this physical thing that they had done, they looked down on the Jews and they thought because they were chosen as God's people, they started to think it was because of them and not because of God. And it made the Gentiles feel like they were, they were outside of God's love. And so, so Paul here in this, in this passage says something. He says, don't forget and I think you would agree there's value in remembering some things. Remember the days when, you know, you had trouble finding work and maybe not, now you have a job. Remember the days when you couldn't make ends meet and now, you know, you've got, you've got some money and, and you're, you're able to, to pay your bills. Or remember when your health was bad, but now it's good. I think about this, like, if I feel good today, all right? And so I don't really think about that. I'm not like, oh, hey, I'm so happy my nose works. But then as soon as I get a cold and I can't breathe, I'm like, oh, I long for the days when I could just breathe. You know, So it's good to remember those types of things. Remember the days when life was hard, but now it's easier. And so, so Paul is saying that remembering helps us to appreciate what we have now. And Paul to the Ephesians is saying, don't forget, remember, there was a time when you were alienated from God. You know, this morning really drives that home for me. Uh, when I first started coming to the church, uh, I remember one of the first times I served was at the women's gathering. I don't know if you remember the women's gathering, but it was this massive, like seven-day event um, that we would have. And I remember serving here, and I remember Meg. Meg, it was Meg Michler back then. She was like in middle school or high school, and she sang. And I was just blown away by how well she sang. And then I think now to this day. Here I am giving a message. Meg is leading worship. And if you would have told me back then that someday I'd be giving the message here, I'd have said, you're absolutely crazy. Like, there's no way. And so it's so important for me to remember, like, where I was and where I am now. And so for those of us who are believers in Christ, if we are followers of Jesus, it's good for us to remember that it wasn't always like that. We We were far from God. And Paul tells the Ephesians, hey, remember, there was a time when you were far from God, and he says that to us as well, too. There was a time when we were alienated from God. Now, you might be here, and maybe you're, you're new. Maybe you're just checking out this church. You're checking out this Bible thing, this Jesus thing, and you're like, well, am I alienated from God? You know, I don't even know that. I want you to know that if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you're just checking this thing out. I want you to know that you belong here. This is a place for you. This is a place for you to come and ask those questions, to get those answers, to wrestle through those things. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to remember that there was a time when you were not, and that God brought you to Jesus through his grace. Don't forget that, because remembering helps you to appreciate what God has done for you. Well, what has God done for us? Paul says this. He says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. This is what happened. Once, you and I, we were far from God. We were alienated from God. There was a wall between us and God. But, but we have been brought close to God through the cross of Christ. And it is nothing, nothing that we did. It is all by the grace of God through Christ. Like we learned... Last week in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. Remember where you've been and then rejoice in what has happened to you, what God has done for you. You are no longer separated from God because of your sins, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him and it's all because because of Christ. And then Paul develops this this life-altering truth He says this, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating himself one new people from the two groups. He goes on, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Right now I'm reading this book, by Philip Yancey. It's called, What's What's So Amazing About Grace? And in this story, there's, or in this book, there's a story told by Ernest, author Ernest Hemingway. It's about this father who had a falling out with his son, and he wanted to reconcile with his son who, his son had run away to, to Madrid in Spain. And And he wanted to recognize it, so he wasn't sure how to do it. So the father, saddened by what had happened in his family, he takes out an ad in the Madrid newspaper, and it says this. It says, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montaña. It's noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. Well, Paco is a pretty common name in Spain, all right? It's kind of like Joe in America. And so when the father went to the city square, he found 800 young men named Paco waiting for their father's. And, and Hemingway writes this because he realized that in families, there can, be, there can be walls of hostility. There can be falling apart. There can be something called ungrace, ungrace. And Ernest Hemingway wrote this because he knew this personally. He knew this. Uh, Hemingway's, Hemingway's mother was a devout, conservative, fundamentalist Christian. But her life was all about rules and regulation. They made Ernest Hemingway know very well that they disapproved of his liberal lifestyle. And because of this, and because of this, because it was always law and never grace, Hemingway never got over his hatred for his mother and her savior because he saw Jesus in his mom and he said, if that's who Jesus is, I don't want anything to do with that. And so does our faith speak of that grace, or does it speak of grace? You know, we often... Speak of grace here at the chapel. Grace is the core of the gospel, but there is such a thing as ungrace, and that's what the Jew—that's what the Gentiles were feeling from the Jews. And Paul, who practiced the ceremonial, the Jewish ceremonial laws religiously, understood the mindset of the Jews. They saw themselves as better than the than others because God was on their side because God had chosen them. They saw themselves as the sole object of God's love, and as as a result, they spurned and they disdained and they hated the Gentiles, and they exuded ungrace by the way that they lived. And unfortunately, that happens today. You know, as followers of Christ, we are often big on salvation, but short on grace. And we can see ourselves sometimes as this club of righteous people who earned our way into God's favor. And because we think a certain way, we sing a certain way, we see social agendas a certain way, we vote a certain way, we see that as Christianity, and when someone doesn't fit our narrative of what it means to follow Jesus, then they don't belong. All right, now, of course, we would never say that to them. We're Christians. We only think it, or we might say it to somebody else, right, or we might treat them differently or maybe say something on, on social media, but, it's, but, but when we find out that someone is, is, is following Jesus differently from the way that we are and they're finding happiness and that we're almost afraid of it. H.L. Mencken, this author, he, de- he described a Puritan as a person with the haunting fear that someone somewhere just might be happy. And, and the problem is, is that many people would apply that same caricature to evangelicals or fundamentalists. And Paul reminds them, and he also reminds us, that, that we were only brought into God by his grace, that we are nothing but a community of sinners who have been saved by grace, who have been forgiven, to which all other sinners are welcome here. And what the Jews failed to keep in view And what we can fail to keep in view was that all along, the Jewish scriptures, the ceremonial laws, all along with the prophets, pointed to a time when God, out of his sheer grace, would send the Christ, the Messiah, who would come and fulfill all of the laws, thus ending that system, and with its commands and regulations, that Christ would come and he would take the sins of all, once and for all, onto himself, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He's saying, come home, all of you. There is grace here in Christ. And by God's grace alone, through Christ's death on the cross, the Jew and the Gentile alike, we are all offered peace with God through the forgiveness of our sins. Entirely by God's grace, through our faith in Jesus. Because of Christ's death, the wall of hostility between us and God has been torn down. Because of Christ's death on the cross, the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile has been torn down. Because of Christ's death on the cross, the wall of hostility between us and anyone else has been torn down. We all stand on level ground before the cross. A new humanity, a new race created by Christ. We are all Pacos forgiven by their father. We are united with Christ and as Paul said, united with each other. And now Paul starts to talk about the consequences of this reality. He says this, So now, or consequently, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So this is essentially what Paul wants us to know here. He says this, as believers in Christ and recipients of God's grace, we are on the team, the same team. Here's what the gospel is, another football analogy. It's like this. It's like you are the field goal kicker on a team in the Super Bowl. Three times during the game, you go out and you get to kick an easy field goal. Three times in a row, you miss, all right? End of the game, five seconds left. Your team is down by two. You need a field goal to win. It's an easy kick. You think, okay, I got this. I can redeem myself. I can earn my place in this team. I can win the Super Bowl. And then the coach doesn't send you in. He sends in the backup kicker. The backup kicker kicks the field goal. Your team wins. You're now a Super Bowl champion. Did you do anything to earn it? No, no. What happened is, is, is you didn't earn it. So now, so now do you rejoice in the fact that you are a Super Bowl champion or do you, do you whine and moan because you didn't have anything to do with it? And here's what happened is that when we look down on someone else who isn't like us, it'd be like that kicker, that, that kicker that missed all three field goals, rubbing it in the face of the losing team that he won the Super Bowl. He didn't win it. We didn't win it. Jesus won it and brought us in by his grace. So remember that when you're tempted to look down on someone else because they don't live like you, they don't vote like you, they don't think like you, they don't educate like you, you don't have a corner on the gospel. I've been encouraged so much over the, because the the past couple years, let's be honest, has been rough on everybody and it's been rough on the church, but I've been so encouraged by you who have continued to remain faithful to this church, even when the church has made decisions or took stances on issues that maybe you wouldn't agree with because you're not here because of those things. You're here because of the gospel. And you're here because we're a family. And I am so encouraged by that because it shows where your convictions and your beliefs really are. And so the reason that Paul talks so much about about unity is because the, the church can often communicate ungrace through disunity. Mark Twain used to tell this story about how he put a dog and a cat in a cage together to see if they would get along, and they did. So he adds a pig, a goat, and a chicken. And after a few adjustments, they also, you know, learn to get along and live. And then he adds in, it was a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a Catholic, and very shortly after, nothing was left alive. Because because church, a lack of unity shows people that grace isn't here. And if they can't find grace here, where are they supposed to go? This is what we just read. Paul says you are citizens along with all of God's holy people, regardless of your background, regardless of where you were in life when you started following Jesus. Because, man, if anybody didn't belong, it was me. Because I, I did not grow up going to church. I did not go to a Christian school or a Christian college, no. No regardless of where you were, when you were when you started following Jesus, in this room we all have different backgrounds, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Mennonite, no church, whatever it is. But here we are. Here we are. And if you are in Christ, then you join with everyone else in this room on equal terms as sh- citizens of God's kingdom, sharing that same status, ruled by God. And then Paul gives us this other metaphor. He says this, that we are members of God's family. The kingdom of God is one thing. The family of God is another thing. More than a citizen, you are a child of God. You have a birth certificate in the family of God. Now, parents, some of you with kids, maybe you, know, you have this, you know, your kids don't get along with their siblings, right? And you struggle at times to help them to understand how grateful they should be for their siblings or how grateful they should be for you as parents. And sometimes at the end of the day, you just can't get through into me. You're like, look, we are a family here. Okay that's what is important. And and at the you know many of you you have siblings you have parents you struggle with them whatever it is but at the end of the day you are a family. And Paul's point is the same thing that we are a family united by the spirit of God. And then he goes on he says together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. People are fond of calling the church, you know, like the church building, the church. But in reality, it's God's people who's, who are in Christ that make up the church with a capital C. And God's house, his church, is built on the teachings of the apostles and the prophets, the scriptures. And in those scriptures, we understand and we realize that no stone is more important than the other, but each of us is of each of us as a stone, as a part of God's house, is utterly dependent upon the chief cornerstone, which is Christ. And then Paul drives home this point of unity one more time in chapter 3. He says this, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are a part of the same team. Or I'm sorry, both are a part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. So why would Paul apparently continue to overemphasize this point about unity, that we are all equal in God's sight? Because back then, just like it is today, it's so easy to look down our our noses at other people or to somehow think we are more important than another person or to show, show partiality to one person over another. Here's my struggle. Here's my struggle, church. I can't imagine me or you being forgiven for every sin that we will have ever committed or ever will commit, to be given the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus, all by God's grace at the, at the cost of his son, and then turn around and condemn or judge or hate another person for their sexuality, their politics, their stance on race, or their, their decisions about vaccinations. Now, I'm not condoning or condemning any of those things. But what I'm saying is that's not what unity is. And it's a disgrace to the gospel to be forgiven for everything that you've ever done and then turn around and condemn someone else. Or conversely, it can, be, it can be easy for someone to think that they're not as important as someone else or not as loved by God as someone else or because they're not as useful in the church or they don't feel welcomed here. And friends, I'm trying to tell you that we're a new humanity. We're a new race, not Jew and Gentile, but the same in God's eyes. And so we cannot, we, we must not let age, gender, um, skin color, politics, Uh, socioeconomic status, appearance, any of those things lead us to treat others differently. Jesus Christ tore down those walls, tore down the wall between us and God and between us and others and putting those walls back up again is an offense to God. So if you're here and you've ever felt unwelcomed or marginalized or judged or condemned by this church, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry. And that is not a reflection of Christ. It's not a reflection of Jesus. It's a reflection of the sinful humanity that we still, we still all wrestle with. And so I want to close this morning with this thought from chapter 3 that, that begins in an odd way. Paul says this in Ephesians 3.1. He says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. And then he doesn't finish his thought. And so you're kind of left wondering, like, okay, Paul, what are you you saying here? And then at verse 14, he starts again. He says this. He says, when I think of all this, and then he prays this beautiful prayer in Ephesians that we're going to look at next week. But in between verse 1 and verse 14, he has this one long thought, this one long uninterrupted sentence related to the theme of unity. And it's like Paul, in this one long, breathless sentence, he restates how he marvels at God's plan to create one united humanity under the banner of Christ. All people from everywhere, every background, every color, every shape and size, language, now made one body, one church, one humanity, all because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And in the middle of this big, long sentence, Paul says this. He says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. God's eternal plan all along was to bring us together, one family, one, one house, one citizenship, all on the same team called his church. Made of every shape, color, size, language, personality. We are the chapel. We are a united group of Christ followers who individually and collectively depend entirely with gratitude upon the grace of God. So, my challenge is for you this week let's be an example of unity into the world. There's so much division out there. How can we be different? So let's demonstrate to others that we are a family, that we are on the same team. Let's not, let's not show others, let's not project ungrace to others where they're like, man, I would never want to be a part of that. You know, let's, let's play different positions but wear the same uniform. It's okay if someone looks different from you, has a dumb mustache and tattoos. It's all right. Let's have different preferences but agree on Christ. It's not about uniformity. It's about unity. Let's let's see and treat each others as equals on the cross. I never ever want to forget that I am saved by grace through faith. And it's by grace alone. You or I have done nothing to earn God's favor. Let's be a church united around that grace of God. There are so many things that can pull us apart, but let that be what keeps us together. And let's invite others and welcome them onto this team. Lastly, from Psalm 133:1, one, remember how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Let me pray for us. Father God, I am grateful, incredibly grateful for your grace. God that I would be here this morning to be able to share with this church it just blows me away, and I am so grateful. And God, I pray for everyone in this room, including myself, that this week, as we go forward in the street-level view of life, God at work um, with our kids at school, whatever it is, God, that we would exude grace. God, that when people see us, God, that they see your grace lived out through us. God, that this would be a place, that we would be a people, that we would be a church that welcomes others in. God, I pray that you would work in the hearts have everyone here and maybe show them areas of their life where they are where they are living out on grace where that's what's coming out of their lives and God I pray that you would give them the conviction and the willingness to change through your spirit thank you for this time together this morning in your name amen would you do me a favor and